At 6.30am on the 27th of March 1921, Easter Sunday, a delivery boy from Harrods rang the bell of a white porticoed townhouse in Prince's Gardens, Knightsbridge. His cargo was an enormous chocolate egg tied with blue ribbon, which was opened on the chequered hallway tiles to reveal a boy called Roderick. What a lovely surprise all round. Doubts first began to break the surface as to the validity of the story because of my debut being so early on in the morning. When Nanny might have been up and doing, but surely not my parents. Perhaps only Nanny had to be there for the opening of the egg. She seemed to be the only really important person on the scene at all other times. My parents were Bettina Rawnsley, daughter of the High Sheriff of Lincolnshire and the niece of Hardwick Rawnsley, one of the founders of the National Trust, and George Fenwick Owen, bespectacled and mustachioid. They had met almost eight years and one world war ago in September 1913, two months after my mother's grand coming out ball at 20 Grosvenor Gardens, where Princess Marie Louise and 800 guests had been in attendance. Until this point, Bettina had felt attached to an Alwyn Hobson, but she'd gone off him at a shooting party on Rasay, a small island nestled between the mainland of Scotland and the Isle of Skye that her parents frequented in summers. Bettina decided that she didn't find Alwyn exciting enough, and when she passed him the cup from which she'd been drinking and he wiped the brim before taking a sip, she declared him ungallant. Conversely, nothing was boring about George Fenwick Owen. He was nephew of renowned Victorian trendsetter and gentleman jockey Major Roddy Owen, who won the Grand National in 1892 on Father O'Flynn. His mother was Maya Fenwick Owen, a notable harlot in Edwardian society, as George's uncles and elder brother had already departed this world, he and his mother were left very well off, living at Brantham Court in Suffolk. The house was a fine example of mock Tudor on the grand scale, mullioned windows throughout and oak, oak everywhere in the form of panelling, flooring, even cupboarding. The front door was of oak, so massive that on being opened it whooshed as it pushed air backwards and forwards. Upon meeting George, Bettina found they had plenty to talk about, swapping stories of big game in Africa. At the time, safari sadly meant hunting lions, buffalo and other exotic-seeming animals. Such a proven sportsman was naturally asked to Wellvale, the Rawnsley family pile in Lincolnshire, for the shooting. And naturally, he acquitted himself better than any of the other guns. So glamorous a character was sure to own one of the early motor cars. In it... He arranged to drive Bettina to Lincoln, but on the way a tyre burst and they had to turn tail and come back. George was cross and he lost his temper. For Bettina, the moment was a watershed. Either she had to mind, most dreadfully, or she had to accept him as he was, temper and all. She knuckled under without protest, thus precipitating an era of a new understanding. At the end of January 1914, George booked all the seats in an entire first-class compartment on the train going from London to Well Vale. Pulling down the blinds, he bribed the guard to see that they weren't disturbed, and then he made his move, which is to say he proposed, and was accepted. My maternal grandmother, Maud, wrote in her diary, Betty told me at night they were engaged. We all went out hunting. I came down early to breakfast and offered my heartiest congratulations to George. He is so nice. She could not have chosen anybody I could like better. They were married in St. George's, Hanover Square, 
down the road from Liberty's, and their cousin, Alice Godman, lent them a huge red brick townhouse, 45 Pont Street, for the wedding reception, it having a large ballroom perfect for the occasion. In Paris, for the first stages of their honeymoon, Bettina was suffering from that arch-wrecker of romance, such a cold that she could hardly breathe. She recovered in time to enjoy a long trip across Imperial Russia on the Trans-Siberian Railway, in those days a dream of comfort for those who could afford to travel in style. They went on to Japan, with Bettina's maid, a severe Scotswoman, always in attendance. Amongst the Ainu, the maid spent much of her time dutifully holding up sheets to shield her employer from men wetting the paper walls of more than one rustic inn with their fingers, the idea being to make them transparent enough to be seen through, on the pretense of never having seen a European without their clothes on before. <laughs>